0: You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to another episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and today's guest is the co-founder of the largest rideshare share And private vehicle advertising service in the United States, and the recent recipient of the Delaware SBA's 2016 Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, as well as the 2015 Junior Achievement of Delaware's Business Benchmark Award. He also sits on the board of directors for Preston's March for Energy, a nonprofit organization that provides adaptive bicycles to children with special needs. His ride share and private vehicle advertising company, Carvertize, has had 300% year over year revenue growth and has created a driver network of over 350,000 drivers across 48 states. Working with clients such as Discover, Lyft, EA Sports, and Buffalo Wild Wings, Carvertize has launched over 500 major advertising campaigns across the United States. Carvertize was named DIW's 2015 Tech Startup of the Year and has been covered by major press outlets, including Forbes, Inc. Magazine, WHYY, The Philadelphia Inquirer, The News Journal, and Delaware Today. He's also considered a thought leader on entrepreneurship, marketing, and networking, and is currently a contributor for the Philadelphia Business Journal, as well as several other regional business journals. I've had the pleasure of speaking with him on a panel before as well and the pleasure of being around him at many events. Here for your listening pleasure are the self-made strategies of Greg Starr. Hey, Greg, how's it going?
1: Doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us obviously remotely still uh, undergoing our our crisis with uh, COVID-19 and, and doing these things remotely now, but we appreciate your time and it's great to have you on. Um thank you so much for being here. Let's start with how you came up with the idea for Carvertize. First of all, tell tell our listeners a little bit about what Carvertize is, how it works and then how you came up with that idea.
1: Yeah, so the company is um you know, it's essentially it's car advertised, car advertised. So start off with just putting ads on everyday people's vehicles, right? I think you're living in a time now where if you own a car, it's like you almost own your own company, right? I mean, that's like the gig economy now with how it is. So we were like, Hey, what if you could, you know, let everyday people, you know, who drive a lot uh, earn money for, for their commute essentially. Right. So these are people that are on the go in suburban counties. These are people that are stuck on 476, you know, in in Philly. And um, so it was the idea of just letting people earn income. Um, and then, as the company grew, and as Uber and Lyft grew, uh, it started pivoting to like, hey, put ads on not just everyday people who drive a lot, but rideshare drivers. You know, it's like the next kind of version of taxis or buses, where this is like the new form of transportation, and we're kind of spearheading, you know, advertising uh, on these on these vehicles. Uh, and the drivers are people who drive for a living, and they're they're driving all day. So, uh, so that's the concept. Is you know, one hand, it's people can earn passive income every month for putting on their car. On the other side, it's letting advertisers uh, get their message out on the kind of next uh, kind of wave of of lifestyle transportation uh, transit advertising. Um, and to, to your point about how the, the idea came up, it was it was my partner Mac who I met at college who came up with the idea, um, and I was lucky enough to just like meet him, like at a post game at college playing video games. You know, one of those crazy like stories, and yeah, he told me what he was working on, and I was like this is such a great idea. Why isn't this a thing yet? And I had the the benefit of no one wanting to hire me either. Like I was to graduate college and like no one would hire me. So we were working on this in school. And I was like, let's just like, keep going with it. It was a lot of fun. And um, I figured just give it a few years, see what happens. Worst case scenario is, you know, you just tried something and learned. And so, yeah, we just started working on it and uh, you know, piece by piece, it just started to grow into a thing
0: yeah, that's pretty awesome. I mean, such an interesting and innovative idea. I'm curious what the hardest part about starting Carvertize and introducing a new concept I mean, completely unique, right? This whole idea of wrapping cars that are already out there being used for Uber, Lyft, et cetera. What were, you know, the hardest parts for you of of coming up with that that idea and then taking it to market?
1: Yeah., uh, there was a lot of challenges. I would say overall, the hardest part has just been, essentially educating the market about like that this is a thing so like imagine there's like uh, you're at a chair and imagine uh, there's a table and around the table there's chair of like digital there's a chair of tv and there's a chair of billboards and there's a chair of newspapers and these chairs have all been there for a while and everyone is very comfortable sitting in these chairs and then you're coming in there with like hey here's a a different chair that has other benefits and there's just not a lot of room at the table so you've got to like Squeeze in there, so it's it's challenging. You have to change behavior um, and get people used to trying something new, which takes time, right? And that's the the challenge of it is you come up with this great concept. It's like oh, this is great. People are going to be use this hundred percent, but no, it takes years in some cases to get people to just try it. Um, that was the hardest part is just like realizing that this can this takes a long time to sell and um, and getting people used to kind of trying it out and finding someone who wants. To test it out, how do you prove it works? All those steps to, to selling a new product is definitely the most challenging part.
0: And you know, how did you feel when Carver finally did start catching on? You know, you start receiving these awards, you've received awards from 2015, 2016 uh obviously that's got to be something that fills you with a bit of joy but you know was there was there any sense of of pressure did you feel any sense of imposter syndrome i know a lot of entrepreneurs go through that not everyone does obviously but but did you personally
1: um yeah awards are i was like very against awards uh <laughs> but awards are just like they're like also a they're like they're they're it's it's like smart to do them like it's great advertising and it builds legitimacy so once like i got over like the whole, like, I don't want to, you know, act like I'm, you know, the, like whatever, the whole thing with awards, if you look at it pragmatically, like awards are a very good way to get your name out there and build legitimacy for your company um, and marketing. And so once I took that mindset, like I was like, yeah, I'll let's keep, and the thing about awards that most people don't realize is like you apply for them. Like, it's not like there's just like a, a random, like, oh, I just got, sl-. it's like, no, there's a whole process you can apply. And a lot of it is networking and there's a whole, you know, there's a strategy to it. Uh, But, and once you win a few, it's easier to win more because it builds more legitimacy. So uh, yeah, there's a great Jim Carrey like clip on YouTube, if you want to see it where he gets introduced as two time golden globe winner, Jim Carrey. And then, I think he just throws out his whole speech and just talks about how like his life would be complete if only he was three-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. And it's like, very like self-deprecating and ironic and that's kind of my view on awards of, uh, if only I had one more, you know, it's just it's just part of the the game as, as I think I see it.
0: Right, it's good to legitimize the business. It helps you sort of boost your presence and your personal brand. And we, we when we spoke on a panel together last year in 2019, we talked about, I, I remember you saying that a lot of times people prefer to interact with individuals rather than brands, right? So you obviously have a very solid social media presence, especially on LinkedIn, especially on other form, other platforms as well to promote ties, but also to promote yourself as a, an entrepreneurial thought leader and speaker. Um, so did those awards help you to kind of, you know, step up to the podium, so to speak, and have more of a voice? Or did you always kind of take that approach?
1: Yeah, it helps with legitimacy. I mean, it's just another, it's networking, it's legitimacy, it's marketing. um, And it doesn't cost that much. So it's just, you know, uh, uh, the the trick I learned with awards is like, they, these organizations want to give out awards, like, because they make money because, you know, pay for networking. So it's like, once you like figure out the whole like system of it, like, it's like, yeah, it's a very good tool to use to try to get as many as you, as you can. Um, now, I mean, there's a lot of, again, it, it, as long as you have the mindset that like, Hey, these awards, like are a marketing tool. It's not, it's not the, the, the real value is not like, I, I personally am not like, uh, you know, living or, 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 you know, living for awards to like, If you just understand this is a tactic then it's, you can separate yourself from it. I think where entrepreneurs get caught in a trap is if like it becomes part of their identity and they focus more on getting awards as opposed to like running the business. Like that's what you don't want to do. um, Cause that's like a dangerous cycle. And I've seen a ton of entrepreneurs who have won all these awards, but like company's not going anywhere. So like, as long as you kind of are going into it, knowing that this is like not the main thing, but it's a side thing that can help with the important thing. then I think it's good.
0: Right, and do you think that that's more of like an ego booster in the context of what you were just talking about, or do you do you find that 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 can actually be a hurdle and a, a distraction or deterrent from what's important in the business?
1: Yeah, I think for like first-time entrepreneurs who like it's like the, it's like you're almost like a celebrity almost, right? It's like oh my god, I win an award. It's you know, company, and it's it's like the it's a long like up and down kind of journey, you know, uh, this whole thing. So. Yeah, I think it could be a distraction to first time. I think anyone who's like run a business and had to like really get their you know get kicked you know and like just like go through the misery that this whole thing is of learning and step back. It's that like the, you're you're humbled enough organically to know that like these awards are are a marketing tool more than anything.
0: What do you think were the most important factors for getting Carver ties off the ground? And I ask that because you know a lot of us I think as entrepreneurs and I'm kind of generously looping myself into that discussion, I guess. But a lot of us who who consider ourselves innovators or entrepreneurs or, or try to do things that are unique and different do sometimes struggle, right? I, I mean, bringing something completely new to market, like you were saying with the chair analogy, right, is an uphill battle no matter what. And you get to plateaus and two steps back. And sometimes you feel like you're not Treading in the in going in the right direction, so what do you think were the biggest factors for you in terms of taking Carver ties to market, legitimizing it and then seeing it take off?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for us has always been just the ability to surround ourselves with like very smart advisors and people who have run businesses before and you know uh, finding the right people and being very aggressive and seeking their counsel and advice for kind of every step of the way. Um, yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing. I mean, you can't do this alone. And like, I mean, it's one of the downsides of starting a company young is like, there's just so much you don't know, like, I mean, you don't know people you don't know, you just you just don't know, you don't have life experience. So uh, it's like hard, you know, <laughs> it's hard even when you do have life experience. But so it's just trying to the, the biggest, I think, reason we've been able to succeed so far is just uh, consistently, you know, talking and, and triangulating with, uh, you know, people that have have done it before.
0: What are some of the things that you wish you had known when you started Carvertize? You mentioned it just now. You know, you started it very early on. As a young entrepreneur, what are some of the things you kind of wish you had had in your, your toolkit or in your knowledge base to help you, you know, take a more steady upward trajectory? Not that you haven't been successful. Obviously, you've been very successful to begin with. But, you know, were there some pitfalls that you could have avoided had you known something specific?
1: Yeah, probably years of like le- legitimate years of uh, things we could have avoided just with how to sell and customer groups and financial. and I mean, it's, it's too long to list, but I will say that there is something not knowing how hard it was, was probably actually a benefit. So there was a, a sense of being very naive for this whole thing that actually helped. Because like, I think if I had known what I know now, when I started, I would have been like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that, that might not be for you. Uh, but because it was just like, oh yeah, let's just uh, let see what happens. You know, it just it worked out uh, better. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah. Do you have any stories from early on? Well, maybe where maybe you hit a early speed bump, and you know, it was kind of uh, sink or swim for you, and you felt like you had no choice but to succeed. And how did you take? What was your approach to making sure that your company was successful? in whatever early hurdle you're you decide to talk about
1: yeah it's like the first like i mean the first like four or five years which is like a long time like 2014 to 2016 like i like i blacked out like i don't i have no idea how we like managed through that it was just like it was just crazy like interrupts- yeah and i
0: think uh not to inter- interrupt you but that that's kind of the entrepreneurial process at times can be a little, you know, kind of unwieldy and we don't really know how we did it, but we ended up on this plateau and then just kind of rolled with it. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, we went well, to, well, we finally like thought we figured out in 2016 and then 2017 was just like, Psh. and so our first good year is 2018, um, which is funny because we started working on this in 2012. Right. I mean, it was like, it took a while to get really like traction. Um, but I would say like, yeah, beginning early on, what, what helped the most was something I did. I Googled important people in Delaware and like looked at people who are on the boards of like nonprofits and you know colleges. And I I learned that because I watched the show Mad Men. And I remember there was like a line about like, Oh, like, like, like the boards are where, where it's all at. So I was like, all right, I'll look at people who are on boards. You know, it's just funny. And, um, yeah, I reached (laughs) out to like 25, 30 people. And, uh, I got back. Uh, one guy who answered was the gentleman who was a cabinet secretary on the state of Delaware. He was head of economic development. He took a meeting with me. And I mean, this was like when we first started, we had like no customers. And he he took a meeting and put us in touch with the CEO of the local ShopRite. And, uh, you know, we got a meeting and then we got a, our first deal with like a real customer. And that kind of started spurring things up. But that took like eight months to more, a year to like just figure that out. Or like, the, you know, 10 months were just like running around like, what do we do what do we do so that was a pretty big breakthrough
0: <clears throat> yeah it's great and who who were the big people early on that really helped you maybe the top 3 people who helped you to really be successful did you have any great mentors did you have any great collaborators that you worked with and how did those relationships come about
1: yeah honestly a lot of people and like it's really it's it's really hard to just name 3 uh, cause there really have been so many people like just generously helped out. Um, but yeah, I mean, early on, I, I definitely, a tipping point was when we landed our first lead investor, you know, it's got Vance Kirshner, um, who, uh, I mean, he's just like this, like underground wizard who uh, I did a LinkedIn post on him, but it's like 150, $175 million company he owns, like lifestyle company privately held. Uh, he's just like this, like wizard and like he he was, you know, we were all about raising money and he just kept saying like, you don't need more money. Like, that's not going to solve your problems. Like it's just discipline and, you know, like just treating your customers well. So he's like, he's great. And then, um, yeah, I mean, our other investor, Paul has learned a ton from him and, uh, he's helpful in just teaching us how the importance of networking and selling and marketing. Um, you know, even like, a lot of our customers were, you know, like Wilmington University. Um, early customer of ours and helped us kind of understand how to shape the product to sell to other colleges. And Dell tech was an early customer. And so a lot of our, I say it's a lot of our customers didn't turn into like our mentors because we were able to like understand what it took to help them. Um, Brian Sealander, who, you know, another wizard, the governor of Delaware, I mean, the former governor, like, I mean, he took meetings with us and like helped us put us in touch with investors and potential customers. So like, I mean, it was really just like uh, an up, there's a lot of other people uh who were just like just generously um, you know, help with you know, the cabinet secretary put us in touch. So yeah, it was just like a lot of people uh like really helped us out. And uh it's hard to name three. And you just get so much like wisdom from just meeting with these people, like one-on-ones, coffee, and it's hard to track. Hey, I learned this from this person, but it's really it's just like compounding. You might pick up a couple nuggets here, a couple nuggets here, and then all of a sudden, like you're just you're You're getting a lot of good, good information data points.
0: yeah, what what is your strategy to kind of, you know at the same time balance uh, legitimizing your business, but getting feedback from the customers who are early adopters? Some of your early adopter clients, as you said, turned into pseudo mentors, right? Just throughout the process of working with them and learning what worked best for them. So that's obviously a bit of a delicate situation that I think causes some of the um uh, entrepreneurial uh imposter syndrome for lack of a better term. So what what do you typically do to make sure that they, you know, don't think to themselves, oh, this guy's using us as a, a test dummy, but um, or this company's using us to test out their proof of concept, but instead Hey, we're looking to revamp or or get better. So give us some feedback. How do you maintain that balance?
1: Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's strength of the relationship, I think, right? Like, at the, what I say at the early stages, like people aren't really buying your product, they're really buying you. Like, and that's, that's why a lot of stuff can't get off the ground because, like, unless you have the ability to really develop trust in a relationship, like the products it really matters less, unless it's like truly groundbreaking like it's like they're not going to care as much unless they can like find a connection with you. So a lot of it is like just building strong personal relationships. And that's, you know, that, that's a skill in itself. Um, but it's, it's doing that. And then it's providing real value, like which what we were doing, but then it's also like asking for feedback. You know, we do surveys every year, which are, which are really helpful. We, uh, we just, we, we, we have a lot of communication. We understand like, Hey, if you're taking a shot with us, we don't want to let you down. So we just do whatever we can to, to make sure that we're, we're executing on their behalf. Um, it's just being very customer centric. And it's also, we also propose new ideas. We'll say, hey, what if we try this? What if we try this? Like we're experimenting with putting masks on cars now, you know, like, great way to get attention, you know, given the the circumstances with everything and a great message to promote. So, yeah, it's a it's combination of trust, relationship building, uh, having the right attitude of, like, how can we get, you know, your success is our success, so what can we do? And just uh just working it from there.
0: Right. T- tell us a little bit about your first or one of your early customers and how that all worked out, maybe giving a little bit of an example of all of those things as you go.
1: Yeah. Um that's a good question. Uh I guess a good example would be um when we went to university, where like uh, you know, first, well, I'll tell you what what it first takes though is you ha- you need to work with an organization that has an innovative mindset, right? Like if the organization is just like not like there, right. If there's not a, a gaping problem you're solving and if the leader of that, of that organization is not an innovator, like you're going to have trouble. Right. So we were lucky with, with women's university, like Bill is a very innovative person. Like he likes trying new things. Like he, he under, like he understand that's part of the process. So we got lucky with finding the right person. And then when we ran the first campaign, um, you know, we, we, uh, we tried it out with, Hey, let's see this many cars. And, um, and we got buzzed, but we were like, Hey, you know, what if we, you know, we need to advertise something more specific. So the next campaign, we did it for a nursing program and saw like, saw results. And then the next campaign, we did it with their own students. So it was just like, we knew the concept was good and it was just about like trying new things and finding the right messaging and the right kind of focus to to what they needed.
0: Yeah, cool. Now, we've talked a little bit, you know, touched on some of the roadblocks that you hit along the way. What are some of the specific roadblocks that you maybe advise other startups or other entrepreneurs to watch out for? I know you do a lot of public speaking and a lot of writing about entrepreneurship, marketing, networking in general. What are some of your maybe top three best practices or tips that you usually give to other startup founders?
1: Yeah, I would say one, it's very early to get the right people with you. Um, like that just that matters more than anything. Like, you know, even if you have to give up more equity or whatever, like get the right people, like with you on the journey with the right expectations. Um, like that's one. I think two, I always say be wary of people who like talk about how much money they have, like, kind of a red flag. Like, you know, like, it's just we were out raising money. And oh, I've got I mean, I can fund this 10 times and they just like, like the one, the people that don't mention how much money they have are the ones that are like, like, like they they probably have you know, <laughs> right. They don't need to talk about it. So like, just keep that in the back of your mind. And then, um, yeah, three, I think just like have your like your customers be your guiding principle. Like, silly as that sounds, like you can get like lost in your own like brilliance and creations of products you you might make or you know like ideas you might have. But like, like, like what matters is just like, hey, would our customers like this? Would they pay for this? this brings significant value. And you got to like try to just use that as the kind of guiding principle for how you're trying to navigate, you know, what to do next, what to build and how to, how to approach everything.
0: To that end, what do you think are some of the reasons that some of the other startups fail? We talked about this a little bit. You mentioned in passing that you've seen other startups and other founders make some of these sort of critical mistakes that you should be avoiding. What, what are some of the big you know, three pitfalls maybe that you think startups really need to avoid. Or, you know, we're we're talking specifically about startups, but this could be for any product launch, right? Regardless of the company or the business sector that you're in, you're launching a new product. What are the pitfalls that you want to avoid to avoid a, a big failure?
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is uh is startups raise money too early. Cause once you like once you decide to go that route of raising, like from your venture capitalists or or whoever, like you're on a, you're on a trajectory and that trajectory might not be aligned with what the business is. Like you could run a really nice business like that, you know, is a lifestyle that you make good money, good living, you know, but it's not like a scalable, you know, tech startup. Right. And a lot of companies, I think make that mistake where they like, Hey, this is, you know, we got this idea, we got to raise money, they raise money and they, they do. Okay. But like it's not—they're not ready to grow yet. But because they took that money, they're not growing fast enough to get another round of financing. And all of a sudden, they're playing this game of like, "Hey, we need to raise money to stay alive," but like you're not able to be profitable yet. So it's just—it's just, it's just getting—it's just really understanding who you are as a business before you decide to take on outside money is, I think, the biggest reason these startups fail. Um, and I, I, a lot of times, it's like it just—it just takes time. Like money's not going to solve that time thing. Like if there's a sales cycle element to your business in the B2B space, like raising, you know, $2 million, like it's not going to shorten the sales cycle. Like it's just, it's just not But you raise that money, you need to grow like this. And then you're just, you're kind of screwed. And all if you just decide to go a little slower, you know, you could have had that takeoff growth, just it would have been a couple of years later. So that's like the biggest thing. And there's a lot of like, I don't know, propaganda is the right word, but like, it's just ingrained where, you know, if you have an idea, you want to start a company, you think you, you need to to raise money and like, it's in cases, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But in in most cases, I would say it does not make sense. And it, it, it's usually the downfall.
0: Yeah, that and I see your point. I mean, sometimes, you know, you raise money, you end up with this chunk of money, like you said, and you start to lose focus of the need or the drive to go out and get clients and legitimize your business, right? To that end, you know, you developed a new concept that you took to market. We've talked about this before. How did you identify your target psychographic and demographic?
1: Uh, it was just a lot of trial and error, you know, like uh, for the, on the, there's two sides to our company, right? Drivers and advertisers. So on the driver's side, it was a little bit easier. You know, it was just like, Hey, you know, people who drive a lot who are looking ways to make money. And then with the rise of rideshare, it was a natural fit. These are people that, you know, drive for their, their income and, you know, are out in the road all day. And so this, this is a perfect fit. The other side, it's like, yeah, it was really hard. Like, you know, at first we were like, we could be anything to everyone. So, and then over time you realize like you can, and then it's like, just focus on, you know, who you're good, like who you're really good with and just focus on them and kind of drill it down. And that took like five years to realize that. Um, And we're still kind of learning that. We still kind of fall into that trap sometimes of trying to like just, excuse me, uh, be everything to everyone. So that's, that's, I'd say the key is, I wish we could have shortened that cycle, you know, but there's, I don't think there really is any way it's just talking to customers and, and learning from them and then finding, you know, Hey, what really sticks. And then, and then just going from there, my, my investor Vance always says like, go where it's easiest, you know, like, so you just like, if it's easiest to sell to this customer group, if it's easiest to, to get renewals with this customer group, it's easiest to get like deal flow. Like that's where you focus on, you know, don't, don't overthink it and try to be something you're not.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, why go to the path of most resistance, which a lot of times entrepreneurs (coughs) do, right? I, I think part of the process is you come up with an idea, you think it's great. In your own mind, you think, I would definitely buy this, right? And then you take it to market and you realize that people are criticizing you by not buying what you're bringing to market. So listening to market is really critical. I think though, that, you know, while a lot of people talk about A-B testing and those kinds of things, could you give us like a practical example of how you did some of that early on testing? Maybe a story that explains, you know, your process early on for developing this product?
1: Yeah. um, Think of a good example. yeah. I mean, it, it was really, uh, it's a like, but it was really just like just having communication and talks. Like we did a, uh, a campaign with, uh, the Delaware housing authority. It's funny. And we just, the creative was so good and we noticed such a big jump from that campaign that we were like, we got to put more emphasis on the creative that goes in the cars as opposed to just, you know, putting it out there. And so, um, yeah, the, the process was really, it was really, there was no shortcut. It was just like good communication and learning Uh, from every customer you have and you pick up different things and you get different feedback. I think one thing we're developing now, which is a good example is adding a digital element to this because a lot of feedback you hear from, you know, advertising generals, how do you track it? And so we've developed a digital product that you can digitally retarget people that have been exposed to the ad on the car, which could help track conversions and and website lift. Um, So that's an example of like, Hey, here's a, we like this, but how do you track it? And this is us developing a service that, you know, we know fits a need.
0: That's great. Yeah. And to that end, we we I don't think we've touched on this in this episode, but really your one of your main competitors is billboard advertisers, right? Traditional, old school, you know, people pay for billboard advertisement because they want the eyeballs that are on the road. And your cars, the rideshare drivers who are wrapping their cars with the branding are essentially mobile versions of billboards, right? And you're getting exposed to more eyes that way because these cars are out and about. So what, what have you seen in terms of, you know, competing with this traditional form of advertising? And when you're approaching a, a customer and you're saying to them, hey, you're already advertising X amount on billboards, this is why you should choose us. What are some of the objections that you're finding and how are you overcoming those objections?
1: Yeah, the biggest thing we learned is is not to, not to say why you're better than your competitors. Like that took us a while. Like, hey, here's why we're better than billboards because of X Like, it doesn't resonate because people have been buying billboards for a while, and like if they've had results, and you're saying like, hey, this is going to be better, they're like, well, we're we're doing fine here, right? It's like why are we, why am I going to risk changing something? So, uh, we learned to do is is not to, you know, all advertising works, right? Like I I love advertising. I would, I would market everywhere like that if like money wasn't a thing. Like I think I think it all works, right? It just depends on messaging, audience, and all that. So what we like to say is like, look, like we can be a great complement to your efforts already. If you like, like your billboards, cars can go in areas that you know billboards aren't really reaching. And you see a car and then you see a billboard, you hit it twice out, outside on, on a normal route. So it's just making the case that this is a good complement to fit into their overall kind of marketing, you know, pie. Um, as opposed to, you know, Hey, move all your money to us. Like that's, it just doesn't really resonate. And again, we learn learned this over, over time. Um, and it's the right approach because it's, you're trying to be like a, you know, a, a help partner to the company and create solutions. Like you got to know where you fit, what their objectives are. And there could be some cases where like, look, Carvertize is not the best fit for you. There's other cases where it's like, look, Carvertize is a great fit for these reasons. And we would recommend going bigger here as opposed to previous years where you might've invest in other things. This is why this makes sense now. So yeah, it's just like learning, you know, sales and, and talking to your customers over, over time.
0: Yeah, exactly. So now shifting towards the, your marketing strategies, what are some of your best practices overall for businesses who are looking to kind of rebrand or rebuild their audience? You know, maybe they've become stagnant on social media and content marketing and they kind of hit a plateau. What do you typically recommend to a brand like that?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to take a step back. And this is actually one of the things I wish I said with advice to entrepreneurs is like, you got to keep people updated, right? That's like the main thing is like people lose track of like, hey, I I met with this person and now they're thinking of me. and It's like, no, they have moved on to something else. So it's very important if you're starting a company to like, keep the people that you're talking to updated. So like, I think the biggest thing we did is like, once a month, once every six weeks, we would make an effort to update people and catch up with them or send an email blast out of like what we're doing. And like, that's been the key is that you need to like stay top of mind with people. Um, and so, you know, if you're a company that's like on flat, you need to have a narrative. You need to like have a story that people can tell and people can, you know, want to be a part of. And you know that, that's the way it is in social now. It's like, it's, it's, it's just putting out what you do is not enough. Like you've got to create a compelling story that people can resonate with and see you as a resource and almost like a friend uh, before they buy.
0: That's a great point. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think storytelling is of critical importance in today's market, especially, right? Because we're so overloaded and bombarded by just marketing on a constant basis that to your point, people want to engage with something that resonates with them or, or that they can relate to, right? Do you have practical advice for someone who's confused by all the noise, you know, they keep hearing that they should be telling better stories and more narratives, but they're not quite sure what they're doing or, or where they fit. Maybe I'm asking for a friend. Um, and how, how should they go about, you know, their practical process of developing a narrative for whatever their product or service is without sounding too salesy or contrived?
1: Yeah. I think the the, the first thing to remember is like, no one cares. Like, so like, like, you just got to start posting, because like, you're like, you're thinking about yourself more than anyone else's. So the first thing to do is like, get over your fear of just like throwing stuff out there. Um, that's a, right. And then B, I I think it comes from, I mean, first, you got to make it visual, like you got to take pictures, like, uh, and, and you have to kind of try to be authentic, right? It's not just like posting stuff that you don't feel like strongly about, like it doesn't, it, it's, it's, you need to be authentic with it. But What I say to people is, you know, an example of the personal brand, right? There's a lot of different ways to market as a company, but I made it a rule to two days a week post on LinkedIn. And it was like just two days a week consistent. And it'd be a new customer, it'd be a meeting I had, it'd be something I learned. But I was like, I'm just gonna do two days a week. And that's really what did it for me is the more I did it, the better I got at it, and the more it just became natural and the more it kind of just built awareness gradually over time. So I would say just a practical thing is to just start and and you'll you'll learn like you know you'll learn as you go about what's hitting what's not um and you'll you'll it's just it's got to become part of your just like kind of normal day to day to really have this kind of incorporated into what you're doing
0: so to summarize kind of get your reps in you know just kind of get over it get there start producing content start posting content and then and then you know monitor that based on what people are actually engaging with right what's yeah, getting the most likes.
1: Something you said that resonated at the panel was like, look at what other people are doing. Uh, that's doing really well. And like, just take it from them, you know, it's a sign of flattery, right? Like, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that's, I think that's a great idea, which uh, like I've done in some aspects, you know, like, oh, this is working. Let me try this. And, um, but yeah, I, I think for, for for me personally, what worked was just like, I'm going to I'm going to do two days a week and I'm going to stick with it. And that's what really was able to kind of build everything up.
0: Yeah. Also, yeah, to your point, some consistency, right? Because then it just creates more of a organized process and it starts to become more organized. It just naturally starts to gravitate towards a more organized content system rather than I don't really know what I'm doing on social media. I'm kind of just posting picture quotes. I think that's over, right? Can we stop with the picture quotes? Is that uh is that a thing <laughs> or oh,
1: <yeah, those> <laughs> um good. I'm kind of getting questions. tired
0: of the uh of the of the picture quotes personally but what's your stance on what type of content seems to work best
1: yeah um depends on the audience like if you're a recruiter like they love recruiters love like those cheesy like recruiter stories of like job applicant shows up late gets thrown out the door gets hired they like, I don't know what that is. That's like a whole genre in itself. Um, no, I like, I like genuinely like helpful tips. Um, I like, uh, I like stories of success. Like, Hey, we passed this milestone. Like that's always good. Um, I like hearing like how people screwed up, not like just being like, Hey, like we totally screwed up here. <laughs> Lesson learned. Like those are like the the honest ones are really good. I, I don't like the, everyone's doing this thing with emojis now. Like you have to like. It's like one line emoji, another line emoji, another line emoji. Like there's all these like formatting aspects of it that like, I've never been to, like, I, I just, whatever, I just post, maybe it, it hurts, but, um, but yeah, that, that's just kind of what I'm seeing out there now.
0: Yeah, really cool. So let's talk about you as a, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, what's your process? I'm always curious about this myself, and I hope that the listeners are as well. What's your process for creativity? So, an entrepreneur, in my opinion at least, is a very creative individual, very similar to an artist in a lot of ways. You kind of come up with an idea first, develop a prototype or proof of concept, and then take it to market, right? So, what's your whole process, literally? Do you meditate? Do you journal? Do you mind map? You know, what's your literal process for coming up with a new campaign, like your campaign of the cars now wearing masks during this? COVID-19 sensitivity period that we're <laughs> that we're experiencing.
1: Yeah, I think um so I definitely I meditate a lot, like I make that like a thing. Cause I, I I like you need to like create space and like let the subconscious like do its thing sometimes. So if there's like a problem we're dealing with or like an uncertainty, like like you have to let it sit. And like, you know, you have to just understand that you're not gonna have the answers right now, but if something doesn't feel right, like you need to give it time to like figure out. Um, so that's a, I think, uh, what I do every week is I outline my week and I have it like sales. Okay. what are my sales efforts, marketing ideas, um, networking. I have a line for networking. Cause I think that's just like so important to just continue networking each week and, and make that just like a part of like the playbook. And then there's like the miscellaneous, which is like the different ideas or, or kind of like things you picked up on or things you had. And so I just like, you just kind of, I, I structure my week like that. So it's like on the list. Um, but then also like, I mean, in my case, like, I mean, my partner, Mac is like, I mean, he's like, he comes up with like 30 ideas all the time, right? Like he's like, he like comes up with a lot of things. So we also just spend a lot of time brainstorming because he'll have an idea like this and then we brainstorm it, then it turns into this and then it, it leads to this. So, um, so yeah, it's just, it's just building it into the process and, you know, staying relevant with current times, you know, seeing what the mood of the, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot. You can just like see it's not an excuse to go on social media, but you just see what people are saying. You see what like people are getting riled up about. And that's helpful also to kind of see what's going to be resonating right now. And I mean, a new idea we did, which is so simple, is putting like anime graphics on cars, like cartoons, like, you know, like, it was just like a great, like creative idea of like, hey, we've been putting like the, like put a cartoon on a car, like see what that sparks with creativity. Um, So yeah, it's, 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 I think it's it's, 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 taking time out to plan, taking time out to brainstorm, you know, part of our structure is we have like a management meeting every week, uh, to talk about new ideas. So, uh, and then there's also ideas for just how to work several accounts. So it's just being part of the process of like, Hey, how can we attack this? Like what's something different we can do uh, to try to try to get as many ideas as possible.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so how do you you know, what's the litmus test for your idea generation? Mac's coming up with, a Mac it is, right? Your mm-hmm. partner named Mac. Uh, Mac is coming up with these great ideas and, you know, he comes to you with them, but obviously 30 ideas is way too many to implement all at once. So how do you sort of pick what you think is going to resonate or work best? And, you know, what's the dynamic of that? Relevant to your partnership relationship, right? Because that's part of it as well, is just not only working with somebody who's a partner for such a long period of time, it's like making any other relationship work, but it's also respecting their creativity enough to give them creative space. But then, you know, having some process for deciding what ideas you're going to move forward with versus the ones that you're either going to table or not, or decide not to implement at all.
1: Yeah. It really comes down to like, just like customers. Right. So we're developing a new product. Like everything we develop has a reason to it. Like, Hey, we can cut our costs by X amount. If we start doing this, well, will people buy that? Like, yes. Like we've gotten confirmation that if we do this, people will buy it. Like we ask people, if you put a mask, like, Hey, is that something interesting? Yeah, that'd be cool. Right. So everything has to be verified with like people before you just like kind of go all in Right. So that, that verification is very important. You don't just want to like build something and like, and then, you know, no one really wants it. So everything we do has to have the, the goal in mind, Hey, can we sell more of this? Right. Will this help people more? Is there a legitimate value that we're bringing to the table? And if it passes like that test, you know, that's when, you know, it's, 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 it, you can move forward with it. But like, if you're not, you, you create something and, and like you kind of test it out there, like, and no one's biting like, okay, it's, just, it's not really, it's not really hitting, you know, I don't know what to, what to say. It's just not resonating right
0: now with the market. So you just... Right. You know. That makes sense. Yeah. And then I guess there, there are layers to all of this, right? Nothing is literally black or white. There's grayness to all of this, right? Then yeah. some of these ideas kind of float to the top and then you choose to implement one. You kind of do some A-B testing like we talked about earlier. If the idea seems to be catching on, maybe you roll with it a little bit more if it's... Kind of getting stuck or not really moving forward, maybe you step back and try something else, right?
1: Yeah, and you you just you learn a lot from trying new things too. So you might like learn like this didn't work out, but like interesting, we picked up something here. Like this could be something. So just getting in the the muscle memory of like I'm doing that is helpful because it pushes like the boundaries of what you can do. And then if there's an opportunity where it's not quite this, but it's this, but we already did a lot of legwork for this, so you can carry that over here. Like it makes sense. So. It's there's, there's a lot of, um, we've done a lot of things like that in the past where it kind of like what we did back then didn't quite work, but this is, this is another opportunity and we could change it up so it, it, it fits into what we're doing
0: now. Yeah, that makes total sense. Awesome. Greg, thank you so much. This was a great episode. I think chock full of a lot of really good information for hopefully the listeners to take away and to use and apply in their own, not only entrepreneurial pursuits, but in their personal branding pursuits, which you and I are big fans and advocates of. So uh, if people are looking to work with Carver Ties or looking to reach out to you for more information, how can they get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn's great. Uh, just search my name on LinkedIn and you know hit me up. Um, and yeah, go from there. But yeah, this was like really good. Thank you. I mean, these questions were like sharp. So Thank you. Uh, yeah, I appreciate well, that. Well
0: <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Awesome. Well, have a really good one. Thank you so much for your time and uh, look forward to seeing all the cool stuff that Carvertize comes out with in the next year or two.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks, man.